Hide and Seek deals with material that may not be suitable for listeners under the age of 13, so please use discretion. Any and all trigger warnings will be listed in the show's description. And with that, let's begin today's episode. Sister, Brother Harry and myself will leave in a few days for Europe, where I might remain to study art. Brother Harry says you need never trouble any more about me, financially or otherwise. He and sister will see to me. Hello, my seekers. I am your host, and this is my sometimes co-host. Howdy. He's not too shy. If you have not seen the announcement I posted, uh, I was going to say a couple weeks ago, but more like a couple months ago, I would love for you to email me any of your true crime stories or crime and horror stories that maybe you've written. So whether you've seen, written, heard, I would love to be able to put that either on the podcast or the YouTube, maybe for an intro or even turn it into an entire case. And as always, you can get a hold of me at crimeandseek at gmail.com. And that's crimeandseek spelled out, no ampersand. Or on Instagram or YouTube. And with that out of the way, let's start today's episode, which was recommended recommended to me by a listener. So I dedicate this episode to Jay. Herman Webster Mudgett was born on May 16, 1861 in New Hampshire in a town called Gilmanton. His parents, Levi and Theodate, were from first English Im- were first English immigrants. Herman was one of five. His siblings were Ellen, Arthur, Henry, and Mary, and they were raised as Methodists. And his father was one who had many jobs. Herman declared that his parents were strict disciplinarians, and his father was an alcoholic and would take out his anger on his children, which would lead him to become, as we would say, a mama's boy. Herman's family was wealthy and lived comfortably, and he showed early signs of intelligence. In fact, the home of Herman is still around. You can go see it if you want to. Herman claimed when he was in school he was picked on, and depending who's telling the tale, some say he was forced to see a skeleton, and others that he was forced to touch a skeleton. Either way, this traumatized poor Herman, and he would later have an intense fear of doctors and the skeleton that he was forced to touch happened to be in a doctor's office. Now, Herman claims from this point forward, he wanted to discover more and more about medicine and the human body. Please continue scrolling. Wait, so he was forced to touch a human bot, a but he says that he was forced to touch a actual human skeleton. By whom? The doctor? No, no. He was picked on in school. Okay. Okay, now I was really confused here because it sounded like the skeleton that he touched was the one in the, do- the doctor's office. Yeah, it was in a doctor's office. You mean like and in a school nurse office? Probably. I don't know. This is Herman telling like the they story. Broke into his doctor appointments, like, touch the skeleton, Herman. <laughs> touch it. Herman is dead. I cannot confirm or deny. He was is born a long It's pretty obvious he's dead. You don't <laughs> need to confirm that. Confirm or deny. 
I'm pretty sure this is a old, how this happened. This is an old case. Yes, right. yes it so, is an old case. Herman would then go on to perform surgeries on any animals he could get a hold of. Now, guys, if that doesn't sound like a, the beginning of a serial killer, I don't know what to say. <laughs> the, <laughs> it reminds me of that one episode in The Simpsons where, like, uh, it was the horror one where uh, Bart had like a, a secret twin that like uh, did the surgery on a, a pigeon rat. It oh. made a, a pigeon rat. It like flew into the air and then it hit the wall and then tried to go into a little rat hole. It just kept bopping the wall because the pigeon was attached to its back. That's lovely. Uh, that's why I think that. Anyway, story. all that's missing over here is bedwetting. So we're just gonna add that little assumption in that Careful, maybe he maybe he did. There is a possibility he may have also gone on to kill a a few fellow children, but there's no record of this. He would later go on to attend the University of Michigan and study medicine, but we're just again going to go with he probably did kill a child here or there. He was not a great student at the University of Michigan, and he was almost expelled. But he did manage to graduate with a medical degree somehow. He learned that he could finance his degree with without the help of his parents with a neat little skill that I think we should all just learn from. He would continue to utilize this skill for the rest of his life. Now you may be wondering, what is this useful skill that can actually help me finance through medical school? Well, that would be called insurance fraud. I mean, we could still do that today. That's pretty useful. What he would do is steal a corpse, whether from the school he was at or, you know, good old grave digging. He would mutilate it and then claim the body was in an accident and then he'd collect the money on the insurance of the person he said who was who he said was the corpse but obviously it wasn't the corpse it was just some random person he dug up but he'd still get the money for said person and then he'd uh, pay the school he would later claim that he killed a friend while in school to collect his insurance money his friend's name was dr robert leacock oh thank goodness you said nothing in 1884, Herman graduated, but... <laughs> That's a regular name. Okay. In 1884, Herman graduated by the skin of his teeth. After the school... And this was only because the school heard that he had been accused of making a false promise of marriage. Yes, guys. False promise of marriage. And that was because he was already married. So Mr. Herman was trying to commit polygamy. And bigamy. When, if you don't know what that is, polygamy is defined as having more than one husband or wife at a time, while bigamy is having a marriage ceremony when you are already married. So he would have been a double crime in there. He sounds like a great guy. Great guy. Great guy, guys. He's killing kids, killing animals. We haven't confirmed the children yet, but we... Committing insurance fraud. He's mutilated some bodies, which is already uh, uh, not so great. He's a cheater-weeder on his wife. But anyway, let's continue. So let's talk about Mr. Herman's marriages. Yes, plural, he did this again. Clara A. Lovering was born... I don't she know... She was born? I, I don't Lewis. know if this is supposed to be London Merowick or Luden Merrimack. Lyle, I wrote this Lyle, really hard. Anyway, she was born in New Hampshire to parents Samuel Lovering Hampshire. and Lucy Grace. Her father served on the New Hampshire State Legislature, and this is where Clara would meet Mr. Herman. 
She was a lovely girl. And of course, Herman latched on to her because he was a real stand-up guy. You guess what he did? He pressured her for sex on the regular. Now, guys, this is back in the day. Premarital sex. Yeah, no. Not really good for the woman. So, again, Herman's a real stand-up guy putting Claire in a lovely position. Claire and Harmon would eventually wed by eloping on July 4th, 1878. And there's a beautiful motorcycle in the background right now. Two years later, Clara would give birth to her first child, but the only child by Herman, a boy named Robert Lovering Mudgett. Before Herman decided to be a doctor, he worked at a grocery store. But later, with his wife's support, he went to med school, where he would cheat on her, with the woman previously mentioned, where he almost got expelled from school. Now it just sounds like fireworks. Is this going to get drowned out, or should I wait? No, keep going. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a motorcycle out there, and I don't think... And or fireworks. Oh, I don't think the person's <laughs> going to make it. This is all, this mostly was all to get Stay to tuned for next episode about the motorcycle right outside our house. Throughout Herman's term in med school, he and Clara would spend times together, and then apart. Ultimately, Herman would end up in Chicago, and Clara would stay back in New Hampshire. They would keep up to date with each other through the mail. After graduation, Herman would go by a different name, Mr. Henry, with a new last name as well, and he started working at a pharmacy. Then one final day in October of 1888, Herman went to New Hampshire to tell Clara and his son not to join him. What a lovely husband. Oh, honey, I love you, but don't join me. Wait, wait. He moved to Chicago without his wife and his uh, child. Whoa. I mean, that should have been her first clue. The day Clara took him to catch his train would be the last day she would see her husband for six years. I did not mean to laugh. It's just, oh, poor Clara. But good on you, Clara, for dodging a bullet. In the meantime, Clara needed to provide for herself and her child, so she learned how to be a dressmaker and set up a shop in Tilton, New Hampshire, where she was able to live above her store. And good for you, Clara. <sighs> Excuse me. Herman's second wife was a lovely blue-eyed lady, and yes, that is what all the articles I looked up said about her, named Myrta Z. Belknap. She was born to Father John Sands Belknap and Mother Lucy G. Beers, I love these last names, in Pennsylvania in the year 1862. At the time of Henry and Myrta's meeting, I said murder, of Henry and Myrta's meeting, she had been living in Minnesota. Henry met her in Minneapolis and asked her to move to Chicago so they could marry. Man, these motorcycles today. And of course she agreed. So while Clara was at home waiting for him, Henry married Murda in 1887. Oh my gosh, this guy is a womanizer. And the two began to run the pharmacy together. I just want to know how he... Just managed to keep all this from his wives. Like, well, first just, let's look at the year. Well, again, he changed the his 1800s. name. 1800s. He changed his name too. And you could—he changed his name. It's not. It's that like hard. not like Clara never sent him mail or anything that he had to hide from his other wife. Of course, she would soon fall pregnant by Henry. Now, Mister Henry, although he had two wives, and you would think that would be enough, especially after almost trying to marry a third woman. Oh no, 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 no! He continued to flirt it up. 
he enjoyed making Murda jealous. And understandably so, that she would be jealous. Henry found this annoying. How dare she not want him to flirt with other women? And he had her manage the books instead of the pharmacy to keep her away so that he could, you know, flirt with every woman that came into the pharmacy. She would later give birth to a daughter, Lucy, and later murder and Hen murder. Murta and Henry would also start to live apart. But she, till her death, presumably believed her husband was innocent from all allegations against him, and I'm sure she didn't believe that he committed polygamy either. Secondly, Herman sent divorce papers to Clara finally. But she never received them, so that's Herman's word against hers. Who knows? Back in the day, mail got lost. Yeah, it's possible. This is actually a legitimate case. It would be possible. <laughs> Henry would later go on to marry yet another woman. So you may ask, what was lucky lady number three's name? Her name was Georgiana Yoke. And this woman was born in Illinois in 1869. Born to parents John Yoke and Mary Toner. She was a tall, lovely young lady and was hardworking in a department store when she was discovered by Henry. She was working for the Siegel, Cooper, and Co. store. And they soon married in 1894, and she would travel around with him. But she would also testify against him at his trial. Yes, girl. That's right. Testify against your husband. Testify. <laughs> but that's all we know about her, because obviously he went to trial. But before he married Georgiana, Herman had another lady on the side in 1893. Minnie and Nanny, actual name Anna Williams. Oh, Minnie and Annie, whose actual name was Anna. So it wasn't another lady. It was another set of ladies. No, no, no. It was Minnie and his her sister. That's two women. I'm yeah. still counting. Not a single lady. They were. Yeah, he, he certainly had side pieces. He's Mrs. Weston. His Minnie and Nanny. <laughs> <sighs> the two sisters moved to Chicago. Minnie met a man by man called Edward Hatch when she was visiting New York. And yes, Edward is Herman. He changed his name again. Just one of his many aliases. I mean, this is how you avoid your wives. You just completely change your name and what you're doing. Edward offered her a position as his personal stenographer, which is a person who trans. Stenographer. Thank you. <laughs> I am sorry, people. Stenographer. <laughs> It was the person who transcribed spoken word to written word. Minnie had moved to Chicago to be with Herman, and the two supposedly got married, but there's no record of this. Again, Herman's word. And they lived in an apartment in Lincoln Park. She was incredibly... No, not related to what you're thinking. She was incredibly <laughs> jealous of the attention he was gaining from the woman visiting the pharmacy. And this would... Again, annoy Herman. Why do all these women that he married get upset when he tries to take another wife? He just doesn't understand why he can't love everybody and abandon everyone else. He clearly felt he was entitled to all women. Insert gagging noise here. Oh, oh I wasn't supposed to read that. I was supposed to make a gagging noise. <laughs> insert gagging noise here. <laughs> insert text here. So he invited her sister Nani to visit. Now, before you, or Anna. Mm. Now, before you think maybe he actually married her for love, uh, no. Minnie was an heiress to land in Texas and was what we call nowadays naive and very easily manipulated. 
Herman persuade Minnie to sign over her land to another one of his aliases. Guess what that alias's name was? Alexander Bond. Oh, he's one of the original Bonds. He's Bond. This marriage did not last long at all. Nanny wrote a letter in July to her aunt asking about her living situation. It was never heard from again. And the exact wording of her letter was what I read at the beginning of this podcast. Well, don't worry. Herman made sure to take out insurance policies on both women. <laughs> Good on you, Herman, protecting yourself before they disappeared. Good on you. Just know when they were going to disappear. He's such a smart guy. But it wouldn't be long before the insurance companies were like, um, Herman, you kind of filed a lot of insurance claims. <laughs> well, under different names. If anything, <laughs> what, what would have been his downfall if he filed all these insurances under the same company? It's like, you know, there's been a lot of deaths in the last all like, couple of months. All different weeks. names kind of have the same writing style on the same company. Yeah, these signatures have started to look alike. And so... This is kind of when he left Chicago and then married Georgiana to get away. Now, you might be wondering what happened to these beautiful ladies. Well, don't worry. They were murdered by Herman, of course. How else was he supposed to get richer without money? I mean, it's not like his soon-to-be wife was an heiress or anything. I mean, you got to feel for him. He's got all these wives and two kids to not send money to. So, he, you know, he needs the money to not send it. Well, it turns out when Na Nanny came off the train... Herman robbed her and sealed her up in a vault, alive, and she died from suffocation. He then killed Minnie by overdosing her with chloroform while she slept. And so the poor sisters never even saw each other. Ah, what a shame. Yep. Now, Herman was amassing quite the fortune through all his scheming and working. So Herman strived to create the ultimate home where he could conduct experiments for his insurance fraud and to house unsuspecting people coming by to visit during special occasions such as the world's fair herman would go on to murder 27 people but that's not too bad right or so he claimed now you may be wondering who this person is maybe you've already figured it out well i've been talking about all the different aliases but if you haven't this happens to be H.H. Holmes, the creator of the murder castle. And now that I'm saying that name, the clock's, I mean, the clock, the clock is ticking in your head. <sighs> you mean the gears are turning? The gears are turning in your head. You all oh, know who this is. One gosh. of the first serial killers in America. The original Holmes. Yep. H.H. <laughs> Holmes have been turned into this horrific madman who killed for fun. At least that's how we see him. Torturing to meet his own sick fantasies. Well, Henry moved to Chicago and changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes. But everyone just knows him as H.H. H. Holmes. And by this point, he had already been married to three different women. He soon found a job at Elizabeth S. Holt's drugstore and eventually took the pharmacy over. The story goes that the owner was dying from cancer and Holmes just jumped in to help, guys. One second. Uh, uh, continue. Jumped in to help, guys. By taking over the store. Most people assume that Holmes actually killed the owner, which I mean, track record and all. Although more likely, as extensively studied by someone named Atom, a mysterious Chicago, she left the practice to have her second child. She was only in the tw her 20s in the time and most likely wasn't dying of cancer and was married. 
Another story that was buzzing around was that Holmes never paid the owner for the building. The owner had to sue him, but she didn't actually receive her money. Oh, but she did eventually receive her money from Holmes. In any case, Holmes did, Holmes did prove to be hardworking and most likely did not murder the shopkeeper. After taking over the pharmacy, Holmes would then go on to purchase an empty lot across from where he worked, which is where he would build his... Oh, hello, Dewey! Where he would build his murder castle. What's up, bub? The... Oh, 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 hello. Mommy's almost done. I'm almost done. Then I'll give you lots of love. That's my fluffy cat. <laughs> he doesn't like it when I'm over here and not paying attention to him. The building dubbed Murder Castle. Oh, oh, okay. I'm almost done. Murder Castle or Murder Hotel was 162 feet by 50 feet. This was a big building, guys. The hotel took up both 601 and 603. Oh, hello. West 63rd Street. The building had three floors. The bottom floor contained commercial space and the newly moved okay let's not purr into the mic and the newly moved pharmacy while the other floors were an office and hotel space holmes was notorious for constantly firing and hiring construction clues clues crews which he claims was so that no one could know the full layout of the castle and this was done because of all the secret rooms that were built for holmes murderous pleasure Holmes claimed that the hotel was designed for all those coming to visit for the World's Columbian Exposition. In 1893, also known as the World's Fair, excuse me, this fair was marking 400 years of Columbus's discovery of America. Please don't come at me. I know Columbus Day happened and we're calling it Indigenous People Day. And I know the truth about Columbus. I am just telling you the history of this fair. That year, the fair was held in Chicago because of the ability for so many people to come due to the railroad system. President Grover Cleveland even showed up and opened up the fair by amazing people by turning on electric power. Electricity was still a new concept at this time in America. This was a popular fair and over 25.8 million people attended. That, that's a lot of people for, back, is, at, for back in the day. That's a that lot is, of yeah. people. And this was the first fair to actually make a profit. That's kind of sad, but good on them. So you can see why Holmes would want to capitalize on this opportunity of offering housing to all the... Yeah, I mean, you could definitely book out the entire hotel. The castle had over 100 rooms. The third floor was reserved for visitors and apartments for people who had recently moved to the city. The third floor was described as having dead ends and the rooms had ill lighting. And there were stairways that seemed to go nowhere. And knowing homes, they probably went nowhere. The second floor in total, the second floor in total had 35 bedrooms. But all the rooms were described as not really bedroom worthy. And by that, I mean they were the size of closets with low ceilings. The rooms were fitted with gas pipes. And some were reportedly soundproof. I mean, that's harmless, right? Gas pipes, soundproof rooms, tiny rooms. It's fine. Some of them had trap doors, peepholes, nothing nefarious going on, guys. Some doors led to rooms that would become locked. Again, it's totally fine. Only Holmes could get you out of them. Probably dead. Holmes could control the gas pipes through a panel in his bedroom. The rooms were created to be the perfect death traps, with chutes that led directly to the basement. Now this brings us to the basement floor. 
The trap doors led to the basement where Holmes could commit his atrocities. The basement reportedly had a pile of bones on the floor, a crematory, operating table, torture devices, such as his own created medieval rack, and vats of acid. The purpose of the rack is to torture individuals by stretching them and limbs end up getting ripped off during the process. This is where Holmes reportedly turned his corpses. He stole and corpses of the people who stayed at his hotel into skeleton models, which he then, you know, he was crafty. He would have had his own Etsy store back in the day. He then sold the skeletons to medical schools and pharmacies at a profit. People would enter the hotel and never be seen or heard from again. So what do you guys think? Was Holmes a malicious psychopath who created a castle and killed over 200 people? Yeah, he's like the original um, Mickey Mouse. Got the, the whole Disney World over here. Well, let's find out next week what's going on. And on that note, have a lovely evening, everyone. And I hope to see you again for part two. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're listening on podcasts, don't forget to tell everyone that this podcast exists because I would love to continue making content for you guys. And if you have any questions, feel free to email me again at crimeandseek at gmail.com. And don't forget to keep on seeking. Bye. See ya.